Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we'll preview Saturday's match against Crystal Palace. Can we eclipse our record points total? We need three points in this game, and then that mission is complete. We'll also have the last word on Saturday's fabulous win over Southampton. We'll react to the sad news that Joe Bryan is going to be leaving Fulham Football Club. Uh, we'll also react to the Fulham Supporters Trust's new affordable Fulham initiative. In part two, I'm going to be speaking to Dan Morgan from James's Place about Mental Health Awareness Week. Um, they're on a campaign to try and get men to open up and talk a little bit more because, of course, uh, suicide is the biggest killer in young men in this country. And in part three, we've got some of your emails. No, this will catch on today. Uh, we're saving a good one for next week. I am joined by Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, listeners. Hello, Sammy. How you doing? Good, thanks. And he's back on the Thursday Club. Drew Heatley. Hello. Hi, Sammy. I've had a croissant this morning to channel my inner Peter. (laughs) Just to channel your inner journalist mind. Um, Thanks for coming on again, mate. No worries. Thanks for having me. Right, let's um, get both your thoughts then on the Southampton win on Saturday. And, And Drew, we should start off by saying congratulations because you went to Southampton, not by car, not by plane, not by bus, not by train, but you cycled all the way there. Question one, how's your ass? <laughs> uh, surprisingly chirpy, actually. I think uh, time in the saddle leading up to it pays off because uh, I never reached more than a five out of ten pain. So I'm, uh, I'm actually okay, thanks. I mean, it looked like super fun. I actually... Um, so I stood next to you at the uh, Southampton game and that was kind of where all the people doing the cycle away was. So felt like you made loads of new friends. It looked like a just awesome time you had. I, I assume you'd uh, thoroughly recommend uh, for any future away day cycles. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, usually with these sorts of things, you come away and people ask you about it in a couple of days later, you're like, yeah, it was all right. But I still gush about it now because it was one of the most rewarding things I think I've done. Uh, you know, to meet all of those uh, Fulham fans, there was 40 of us and some of which I'd, a couple of whom I've met before, most of whom I hadn't. And, you know, you, you're involved in such an epic uh, sort of 12-hour journey for for us in the back peloton, the slower ones, a 12-hour <laughs> journey. It was a nine-hour uh, nine journey for the ones at the front. Um, but you sort of, you make all these new friends and it's a big challenge and then the euphoria at the end of it and top it off of a, with a lovely win in the sun. Um, the the foundation does excellent work and I found out a lot more about it in the last sort of two months having been involved in this and I next uh, next season just have a look at the uh, the May away day and anything sort of in a hundred mile radius that could be the one put it in your diary and I, f- I thoroughly recommend it might be a cycle to Luton if things go their way hopefully not hopefully not <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit not excited by the prospect of going to Luton again Jack I don't think anyone's ever been excited about the prospect of going to Luton unless they're going to Luton Airport to leave Luton, right? Like, that's, 
good airport to be fair for what it is that's all i'm saying but heck of a story for luton to, to be oh, yeah there. great great football fairy tale great football fairy tale so is coventry to be perfectly honest with you by the time it's yeah. released they might be out but like it's it's an amazing story it doesn't change the fact that i don't want to go back to kenilworth road ever again so I'm, I'm afraid it's going to be I'm, I'm fully on the borough train and then if not then Coventry and then if not then we'll have to deal with Luton but I was I was sad for Sunderland and I was real sad for Patrick Roberts I was up at the Sunderland game the last one at home before the playoffs the, the Watford game and Pat Roberts scored an amazing 90th minute equaliser and I was just like bring him home please bring him home but I was, I was gutted for Pat Roberts and that Sunderland team of were the fairy tale in themselves, right? You know, the fact that they'd yeah. got back to, to that point and they were sixth, having just been promoted. There was there was lots to like about that story as well. So lots of fun in the playoffs, full stop, I think, at the moment. Oh, come on, you can't want Borough to go. Borough's so boring. What do you mean? Any northeast away day. I feel like Don Betts, but any northeast away day <laughs> has is it is right up there because it means that you can go and spend time in Newcastle, in Sunderland, in Middlesbrough. These are places that are good to go to. They're enjoyable aways. Luton is not. I'm sorry, but like if you'd rather go to Luton than Middlesbrough, you're, you're tapped. Either call me taps. I want to go You're to taps. Luton next year. I've not been. I couldn't go to the game last year because I got COVID that weekend. So I'm Count I want yourself Luton. lucky. <laughs> <laughs> No, I want Luton, then Coventry, at, and Borough is a deep. I mean, Borough behind Sunderland. No, I'm with you. No. I'm with you. And and but you know, apart from the fact that Luton is fodder for the football banter accounts, uh, it's uh, it's you know, I think probably the story wise, I probably want them up. Uh, I always like yeah. a new face in the prem. I think most neutrals do. I know it's a cliche, but we do, don't we? Yeah. Um, Drew. Just to talk about the match on Saturday, it's a weird one. There's not a lot to analyse. It was just a super comfortable 2-0 win that was always on the cards from minute one because Southampton offered nothing. Mm. Yeah, we're, we're always the reaped and rarely the reaper. So it was quite nice to travel down there and uh, mm. put the final nail in someone else's coffin in a in a relatively comfortable way. It was um, it was just pure vibes, wasn't it? It was the Mitro show. We were all waiting for it. Uh, you know, you mentioned it, but I've never heard anything quite like it when uh, when he came on for, for Vinicius. And you look at the video back as well and the look on his face. It's just such a heartwarming moment. You almost forget why he was banned in the first place. It's obviously like he's coming back from some career-threatening injury and everyone's so chuffed that he's back but but uh, it was it was wonderful and we all knew it was going to happen I mean we were walking through uh, quite a nice park on the way to St Mary's I know it's out in the sticks a little bit but there is a, a nice park on the way and uh, everyone was uh, was draped in the, in a Serbian flag uh, including somebody I was with as well um, so it was uh, it was just the Mitro day but I was also pleased to see uh, Vinny justify the starting as well um, and as uh, I think it was Elizabeth said on on Monday, you know his positioning there was not, you know, it wasn't luck. He's uh, he's really flourishing in terms of just a real big sort of show of what happens when uh, when you've got a bit of confidence when you're a, when you're a forward. Um, and I think that's great timing for us because you know you don't want to go into this summer and think, okay, we've got several areas we want to strengthen and 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 backup strike is one of them because I think now we can probably quite confidently say that he's he's adequate. For for his uh, for his role in the, in the side, so uh, I, I was really pleased to see that. Uh, Jack, honestly, at two oh one, did you think Marco had made the right call? Um, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, we talked about it on the podcast, and I thought it was kind of a 
I thought it might have been a very smart call, not necessarily the right call, but I thought it might have been a smart call in that, do you want to throw someone without match fitness for the last 10 weeks? Yeah. Or that kind of area of thing Mm. straight in for 90 minutes against a side nominally scrapping for their lives. Now the Southampton we saw didn't scrap for anything, but you know, on paper, they should have been scrapping for their lives. And so to throw them into that battle without match fitness, et cetera, I thought it might have been a bit of a gamble. The last thing we want now, you know, with these couple of games coming up in the summer is for Mitch Rich to get injured, right? That, that is the last thing that anybody needs right now. He's just come back, obviously, from an eight-week suspension. He's also come back from an injury that we saw kind of sit with him for, for a long, long time. I don't think you want to aggravate that. And Carlos Vinicius did really well against Leicester and then came off the back of it and did really well here against Southampton as well. And I completely agree with Drew. It was nice to see him get his flowers. It also meant that Mitrovic's entrance became this moment, right? And and I actually think that maybe that added to the mystique of the day. Obviously, I wasn't there. I was watching it from a villa in Malaga, which was quite, quite a surreal experience. Um, but mm. it, it was what it was. And, you know, you get you get to these points and that moment, you could hear it, you know, through the screen. I'm looking at this going, this is unbelievable. The noise. They weren't. They hadn't even cut to the substitutes bench. And the noise, I was like, oh, Mitrovic is coming on. Like, this is <laughs> this is the moment. And then he was fated to score, wasn't he? So that was the, you know, there are a couple of nice bits about it. I think that in hindsight, it's easy to say that it was the right call. I think it looked like a sensible, if not correct call to begin with, is probably how I would have put it. Um, Jack, just quickly talk us through your stag do schedule because it's some I've never heard one quite like yours. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, it's been three in the last three weeks, uh, which has been pretty hell. full on. And then I've got a golf weekend of this weekend, and then a wedding, and then another two stag do's in the weeks following that. So, yeah, it's five in seven weeks and a golf weekend. Your bank account must be absolutely ruined. Yes, it is. Uh, my liver, <laughs> my bank account, my you know, morality, decency, um, all of it. It's all gone. It's all gone. I've, uh, I've, I've lost it all. So it, it is what it is. But yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a pretty heavy couple of weeks. Gents, any more uh, comments on the Southampton game? Any more steaming hot takes before we move on to Crystal Palace? The one thing that I really, really loved, and you know, there was obviously all the headlines were going to be about Mitrovic, and then there was the chat about Vinicius because he came in. But Harrison Reed being the best player on the park on a day that relegated his former club, just mm. magnificent. I thought, like, I thought he was absolutely everywhere. I thought he was brilliant against Leicester, and then absolutely sensational against Southampton. So just a word for him because he's come back in. I think he's responded to the addition of Sasha Lukic in January by upping his performance levels again. Um, and, and it has been really lovely to watch over these last couple of games how how much Harrison Reed remains the heartbeat of this football team. And just to kind of drop that kind of performance, you can imagine um, it's in, in, in so many ways we've kind of seen it happen to us. We'll see a former player come back and run us off the park and be like, oh, damn, can't believe we let go of him. But Southampton and Harrison Reed in particular for the fee that they got for him, for the fact that they haven't really got a player in that mould within the team who would be able to be that kind of destructive and yet creative presence within the middle of the park. I just was, I was made up for him that he was able to go out there and prove his worth and just be like, by the way, I made the right call 
I, I thought it was a, a lovely sort of sub narrative going on. Yeah, completely. I always found it surprising when a club like Southampton was able to let a player of his clear, evident quality go. And I always was like, maybe if it was a top six club, you'd be like, okay, yeah, I can see how Harrison Reed can't fit in here. But I always wondered, Drew, like, God, you must have some great players. You must, if you've got to just be able to go, oh yeah, he's surplus to requirements. When evidently, even, you know, we obviously the first season we had him, he was on loan in uh, in the championship and he was brilliant for us that year. It was quite clear to me he was Premier League quality. Um, just kind of surprising, really. Well, I think it's symptomatic of the, the feast and famine nature of the way that Samantha are operating in the past few years. You can see they let go of uh, players like Matty Target as well. Um, you know, when, when yes. it's going well, you, you, uh, you, these players are surplus to requirements. But I think, uh, you know, when that cycle sort of sw- switches and sometimes it's quite risky, blood in the youngsters and, and, and the way that they've been doing. And uh, you can look back at it and say, well, actually, you probably should have... Uh, probably should have kept both of these players but alas they sort of that was the way they were going and uh, it works for a while but it's like swinging a bucket of uh, of mud around your head as soon as you stop swinging it it drops on you so uh, and that's kind of what happened with with saints so uh, yeah hindsight's a wonderful thing but uh, yeah you could make a you could make a quite a decent team of players that they probably let go in the last sort of five to ten years probably i'd imagine I mean, I read a brilliant article. It's actually been out for a month, but I only read it um, on Monday. It was in The Athletic by Oliver Kay, and it's called Stagnation, Fifth Season Syndrome and Staying Afloat in the Premier League. I'll, uh, I'll put a link in the description of the podcast. And I mean, it really got me questioning the, the, the point of life a little bit because it was a bit of an existential look at the teams that are outside let's say the big seven now. I mean, he kind of included Everton in that. Basically, the sides that come up, come down, how long is your shelf life in the Premier League? And it nicely leads us on to Crystal Palace because they were kind of the root of the article about how Palace have just stayed up, but they've done it under Roy. But basically, it talks about all these teams over the years and Fulham have kind of been there, but maybe not quite as headline grabbing as others. You, You think of teams like Swansea, Southampton are a clear case. These Clubs, Jack, that get modelled as the blueprint, the way to stay in the Premier League. And right now, you're probably looking at teams, the three teams that seem to get banned around, mostly Brighton and Brentford, but Fulham are kind of coming into that conversation if we keep up this level of performance. And just makes you realise that football is so cyclical. Brighton will probably get relegated in the next 10 years. So will Brentford. So will we. Southampton have had their 10 years now. Now they're on the decline, but they were been circling the plug hole for, for several years. The Leicester one's a bit weird. Let's maybe put that aside. That's been ex- ex- extravagantly fast. But yeah, I think it's just the nature of it. Now I read that article came out of that. Yeah, we'll go up, we'll go down. We'll be good, we'll be bad. This will happen forever. Nothing <laughs> lasts forever. Well, I was reading something similar. I was reading Jacob Tanswell's look at Southampton's relegation and how it kind of played out. And all the comments in the bottom were three years ago, we were being hailed as the model. It was like, and it's just a warning. It was a Southampton fan saying a warning to Brentford and Brighton fans who are currently being hailed as the next thing. It was like, everybody's time comes. Your big players eventually get poached. And when you make one mistake or one bad transfer window where you don't get the players that you need into the club to, you know, to maintain it. And suddenly you're fighting relegation. And the next season it's harder to bring better players in because you're then not seen as a stable Premier League club. You're seen as a club fighting relegation and the kind of vicious cycle 
continues. So yeah, I completely agree. It's just somehow how it is. And you look at this, I was thinking about it last night for Saints. They had a season, must have been six, seven years ago. Obviously they finished in the top eight, three years in a row in in the Premier League at one point. They went and they played Inter. They beat Inter at the San Siro. Inter in the Champions League final. I mean, obviously, we're seven years on. It's a completely different Inter team. But Southampton yeah. went to San Siro and played Inter. And they had their own moment in the European sun. And it made me think about, you know, our run to the Europe for League final and all of the above. And it does just kind of get you to that point. You're like, oh. Well, just after a while, it all just goes down the pan, I suppose. That's the that's unfortunately the nature of things. Unless you get bought by a you know a Gulf state, apparently, it's apparently the only way out of the uh, the cycle of malevolence, um, which I'm not sure is the the right answer either. So, West Ham, for example, are in two European semi-finals in two years. You know, they might be in a European final this year. I wouldn't be surprised if West Ham are relegated next year. Never mind, like in three years' time. That is that's that's madness. The whole thing is insane, but that's where we are. Life sucks and then you die. That's all we've got time for this week. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was honestly, I read that article and just went, Oh, well that's not going down my sales. <laughs> Enjoy it while it lasts is basically might as well if it was the too long, don't read. But do read it. I see it. it. Ride article. it ride it out though. Enjoy it while it lasts. We talked about this in the championship and the fact that we were, you know, riding that wave and we scored what? 19 goals in three games and I remember doing a piece being like enjoy this like drink it in because there is so much of this that doesn't happen on a regular basis like we will when's the next time we're going to score 19 goals in three games like even if you're relegated the chances of going on that kind of like destructive run straight away you know that took us three cycles to build in you know in the championship and and the Premier League kind of bouncing up and down these good years and like Southampton being comfortable and winning 2 0 away at St. Mary's against the side that were going down, you know, these are the things you're like, we should drink those, drink those moments in. And 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 we have to because that's that's the way of the world in football. Now, you, you know, we might get a five, six year run here in the Premier League. And I'm, you know, hoping against hope that we do, that we continue to build and we can start to stabilize ourselves, et cetera, et cetera, and kick onwards and maybe go on another European adventure, all the above. But none of it lasts, you know, it's all yeah. candles in the wind. Um, no, it's very interesting. And the article actually does give some good hope for Fulham going into next season that actually second season syndrome is not as much of a thing as people think. It's actually it's fifth season syndrome, if uh, if you're asking. Um, but yeah, I mean, there'll be plenty more time for us to, to look at the existential points of Fulham and football uh, in the summer. Let's look ahead, though, to this Saturday, Drew, because things need to be achieved. That thing is three points, a record points total. And... Kind of fitting slash kind of mean that the, the it would be against the manager who set that points total that we'd one up him. But such is life. And I'm sure Roy will be delighted for us, apart from the fact he won't be delighted to lose because he's obviously a competitive manager. But yeah, Crystal Palace on Saturday, it feels like a big occasion. Yeah, and I think I'm really, really desperate for us to to get that over the line because if if we do, I think... 
I think that the argument will have to be it is our best ever Premier League season. I appreciate that uh, we finished two places. We finished at seventh with the last time we got fifty three points and, and qualified for Europe. I, you know, I appreciate that's happened. But you know, fifteen wins, seven away wins, all of these different uh, records that have tumbled. I think uh, you'll 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 almost forget about them if we finish on fifty one or or fewer. So. I really, really hope that we um, we finally eclipse it. It would be poetic against Roy, but that kind of makes me wonder whether it's written in the stars, if that's such a thing. Um, but it's nice it's nice to have uh, a little bit of self-imposed jeopardy on a game this late in the season when we are safe. I mean, I've got my eyes firmly on winning that West London League, uh, and I think it's completely on if you look at Brentford's fixtures. I think it's completely possible. Um so yeah, I really hope that we we tie the bow around this because, as I say, all of those really other great things that I've been, you know, talking about drinking it in. I, I kind of you know, almost take for granted the fifteenth win of the season, and it's the record we've never had it before. It's you know, it's a crazy amount of games considering there's a thirty-eight game season for a club like us. So I hope that we can tie it all up nice and nice and neat, and say cheers, Roy. Uh, see you, see you later if this is your last time here as a manager, um, and uh, and just have a real lovely day in what might be sunshine. Well, it might not be his last time as a manager. They're looking at offering him a one-year extension, Crystal Palace. Um, so it, 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 there might be another Roy visit um, next year. We'll, uh, we can discuss the uh, whether that's the right decision for Crystal Palace, maybe. But um, Jack, you can't deny the job he's done. Five wins, a draw, two defeats. Their run before he joined is just a sea of losses. They hadn't won this calendar year. Um, it was the uh, it was the loss against Brighton and Arsenal that was the final nail in the coffin of Patrick Vieira. So well done to Roy. Nothing that particularly surprises us as Fulham fans that he was able to do that. No, he came in, shut up the defence, let the front three run riot, and off they went. It was it, it was in so many ways it looks simple, doesn't it? It's obviously not that simple to actually affect those kind of changes and actually to be there on the training ground sorting them out. But the effect has been relatively instantaneous. And look, as we know, he's stepped in and sorted clubs out in dire situations before, notably very close to home. But it was, you know, you're looking at that appointment and there were question marks over it. I think there were question marks over from a lot of people, from from Palace fans, from other fans. You know, we, we go back to the start of the season and we obviously, you know, posted about the fact that is anyone still questioning whether Alexander Mitrovic can do it in the Premier League? It's the same kind of thing, you know, in, in some ways. When you look back at the comments when Crystal Palace reappointed Roy Hodgson and all of them are from opposition fans being like, see in the championship, et cetera, et cetera. And look, he's proved everyone wrong yet again. Um, now, whether he take a year extension I, I don't know I don't know there is there is a part of me that thinks that managers of, of Roy's age and uh, I would say not obviously of the same standard but someone like Neil Warnock he's like I don't want jobs in September anymore because I have no interest in working through the, that, the December months and I is like, I'll take a job in February if you want like that's all right if you need me in February give a buzz but there's no way I'm standing on the touchline in, a, in in the absolute pouring rain in the middle of December. It's not good for me at this age. So who knows? Imagine getting to that stage in life and you, whatever job it is, and okay, I don't work. I'm 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 retired. But seemingly every March, someone picks up the phone and offers me a three month job where I get paid two million quid. Yeah. I wish I could just imagine do podcasts that life. March you just say you go, you golf, you golf the rest of the year, and then you just yeah. like do a bit of work, fix a problem. <sighs> oh, what do you need me to do? Right, yeah, sorted. Thank you. 
let go. What a life. Yeah. I, yeah, mean, I what, agree, like, Jack. Surely that's what Roy wants to do. I, I mean, I would be wanting to do, but maybe he is a man with more drive than, than I have. Um, <laughs> look, well, looks like Will Zaha is, is out. So it's going to be very interesting to see how, how he recovers from, from that injury last weekend. But the form that Eze and Elise are in, I don't think anyone is going to look at this and be like, oh, this is going to be an easy ride. You know, Palace are in wonderful form, but those two in particular are playing some sublime football. And, you know, yeah. just the way that they combine, the way that, you know, Eze seems to pop up in the right time and the right place at, at some points and then create the right time and the right place for himself at other points. Elise's delivery from dead balls, his ability to rake a ball across the pitch. You know, they are two exceptionally talented footballers and they are flying under Hodgson. Um, look, they've been kind of flying all year, but this is, I think this is a new height he's unlocked and he's just given them the freedom to go and play. And the Palace are, are no pushovers. This is a very different side to the one that we hammered on Boxing Day. You know, this is a tricky ask. And whilst there's a lot of, you know, poetry and narrative around the idea that we could beat our former points total against the manager who set the last one, I I think that this is going to be a much harder game than anyone's really giving it credit for. Everyone seems to be like, oh, it's going to be great to beat the points total. I'm like, hmm, yeah, maybe. Mm. <laughs> Let's see about that, shall can't we? Can't catch us, though, can they, the slugs? So no, they, they can't catch us, so that's good. Um, and and neither, well, neither can Chelsea, I don't think. Or we At least we will know by the, fact that, uh, by the end of the weekend. Um, but, yeah, look, it's one of those... It's one of those fixtures that has a lot of like pleasantry about it. Obviously, I really enjoyed the the advertising boards of on that Leicester Coronation Monday, which all just had a picture of Roy and said royalty um, in in terms of booking your tickets for the Southampton uh, this Crystal Palace game. But yeah, I I think it's genuinely going to be quite a nice day. I just don't think it's going to be a particularly nice football match. You know, this is not going to be a comfortable two 0 against Southampton. This is not going to be us racing into a you know a three 0 lead against Leicester before half time. This is going to be a very tricky competitive game. And whilst it's going to be a lot of singing for Roy, singing for Marco, I think there's going to be, both fan bases are staying up. There's no real animosity between Fulham and Crystal Palace. There's a lot here that you're like, well, this is going to be a pleasant day out in everything but the football. I, th- I think the football is going to be very tight, very tense. Um, and this is going to take a lot of a lot of willpower and effort to push this points total over the line. Arguably, if United are settled in the in the Champions League spots, the, the away day at Old Trafford might be a better option of beating this points total than this, this home game against Crystal West. And that sounds insane, but it might well be because if they've got there and it's secure then they'll probably ease off the gas a little bit with a FA Cup final against City to think about. So there's lots of things going on, but I, I, I'm, I'm excited for everyone to have a wonderful day out. Do you know what I really hope doesn't happen? I hope we don't draw the next two games and equal the tally because that's just annoying. Nobody wants yeah. that. We want to beat it. Don't want to equal it. But it's football fandom in a nutshell, isn't it? We're all talking about this Palace game as the one. And we're all discounting the United games. We're like, well, if we don't do it against Palace, then we're not going to do it. We need a win tomorrow uh, on Saturday against Palace. But actually, you're right, Jack. It could be. Uh, it could be United if uh, they've not got uh, anything hugely to, to to play for on the final day. But um, yeah, let's. I hope we don't draw it because that would just be uh, that would be depressing. Um, I mean, Drew. 
Palace in defence as well, very impressive. And it was so weird because the game against them this year was just so hard to read into because of the two red cards. But Fulham were, were dominant that day. I guess the thing that's exciting is the return of Mitrovic. And the big question is, will he start or will he start Vinicius again? It feels like surely you're limbering him up to start Mitrovic. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I kind of, after Saturday, I kind of think they might uh, keep Vinicius in the starting 11 and try and recreate uh, the reception for Mitro in front of the Graven Cottage crowd. And again, like if we were in the position that Southampton were in on Saturday, he would have started and make no bones about it. Um, but we don't need to start him. So I just, I don't think we will. Um, I think uh, Vinny will keep his spot and we'll, we'll get a little ovation for Mitro uh, around. It could, it's probably going to be the hour mark again, isn't it? It's the arbitrary... Uh, the sub first substitution point um uh so i think that would probably be what happens on on saturday and i think that's probably fine um i do think uh it was written in the stars for samandon but you know who knows against uh, what's going to happen against this palace side i do agree with jack it's going to be an entertaining game uh which we know you're talking about the defense we know uh, anderson well and he knows uh, mitrovic well um somebody he doesn't know as well as is is vinicius so who knows but i, I think that'll be the way it goes Jack, do you agree? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I I think he might throw him in here just you know to get that kind of that the Craven Cottage crowd going on 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 what is again. It's it's that kind of can you get through the pleasantries? Because I think if Mitrovic doesn't start, it becomes all about Roy. And I wonder if Marco Silva's aware enough to actually think that that's a thing. And and I, like you said, he might not be. This might be his last visit to Craven Cottage as a manager. I wonder if throwing Mitrovic into the starting 11 becomes a catalyst for the crowd getting really, really up for it. Now, obviously, people don't really need that in terms of people aware of the points, tallies and things. But I do think there's an element of being like, okay, Mitrovic isn't starting. Everyone's a bit like, oh, okay, cool. He'll come on at some point. We'll get right up for that moment. And actually, then the first 60 minutes will be about Hodgson, which I imagine Silver wouldn't particularly like. So we will see. Um, there, There might be a little bit of that. I don't feel like it'd be too much about Hodgson. Like he is still the opposition manager at the end of the day. Like I feel like he'll get his customary like little applause from the Hammersmith end, and he'll, he'll get, applaud the Hammersmith There'll be three end. rounds of the Roy song in the first half if Mitrovic doesn't start. <laughs> Maybe it's just so easy to sing, isn't it? It is. It is. I, I have an unhealthy, an, an unhealthy amount of love for Roy, and I know everybody does, and I'll probably do it. So I do agree with Jack to an extent. Like, I just can't help it. I always say, like, uh, he's the only other man I allowed. To, I'll call Daddy because uh, I love him that much. <laughs> that's so good, so good, Gram, Grandpa Roy. Oh um, yeah, that's the that's the vibe. No, I, I look. I do think there might be an element of saving Mitrovic's first 90 for Old Trafford. There's that kind of sitting in the background, isn't there? But I hope I hope he starts him on the weekend. <laughs> I, I, I do. I think I think it would be good for everybody to see Alexander Mitrovic back in that starting lineup. All right. Well we'll take a break there afterwards. I'm gonna be speaking to Dan Morgan from James's place and uh just a, a quick note that uh whilst it's not the entire topic, uh we do reference suicide in this part too. So uh just a warning in case that is a potentially triggering thing. Uh part three, uh we'll come back and answer some of your questions. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you'd like to watch football matches and TV shows which aren't available in your region, or maybe you'd like to save money by purchasing flights from different virtual locations, then we've got an amazing deal with NordVPN where you can get a massively discounted rate plus four free months by heading to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish. Now, I've been using NordVPN for well over a year now. It comes in very handy very often. Uh, particularly when watching sporting matches using my UK subscriptions when I'm abroad, or you can use it the other way around if you're in the UK and you want to use subscriptions from other countries. A subscription to NordVPN is the price of a cup of coffee a month, and you can use one account on up to six devices. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash and you can get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus four additional months all for free. Best of all, it's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So to grab that deal, go to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast it is Sammy here. Delighted to be joined by Dan Morgan from James's Place. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, so it is mental health awareness week this week, and I don't feel like mental health is something that we talk about on Fulhamish often enough, really. We know in 2023 that it is not something that now has a stigma attached to it. It is something that lots of people talk about all the time. Uh, and James's place uh, is a brilliant charity. They're based in London and in Liverpool, and they save the lives of men in suicidal crisis. They're a beacon of hope for ordinary people going through mental health challenges, diagnosed, undiagnosed. They're there for people in a tough place. So um, Dan, thank you for coming on. Do you want to tell us a little bit more uh, about what James's Place does and and the role that they played in so many men's lives? Yeah, thank you. I mean, essentially we are just that. We're a charity that offers free life-saving treatment to suicidal men in Liverpool and London. Um, that is, you know, our sole purpose and it's to stop men dying by suicide. We've got professional therapists who can quickly get to the heart of what's going on with a man in their suicidal crisis. And I think that makes us unique because, you know, we are existing in a very sort of niche um, bracket there, but that makes us able to deal with men who are in crisis immediately. Um, and the treatment that we deliver, you know, it's proven to work. We're, we're evaluated um, regularly and, and we're showing that we can we can take people out of a real crisis point and, and you know, get them to a more sort of moderate way of dealing with what's going on with them. You know, we get to the heart of what's going on with men and, and you know, you talk about the the concept of speaking about mental health in, in 2023. Well, you know, I think one of the ways in which we deliver our our treatment is to is to, you know, basically just get to the root cause of, of what might be going on with somebody. And that that can often be somebody who's, you know, never spoken about an issue before, you know, never never been able to verbalise maybe their feelings or or what's going on with them, and I think it's important to to have this conversation in a in, in a football environment. You know, I, I also work in football in in fan media as well, and, and I think that you know often we can see that you know football is made up of of a lot of diverse and and different communities and different people, 
Um, but often it's it's those people who might not be presenting with any any signs that they're in a they're in a crisis or they're struggling. But it's often those people who you know might be suffering in silence, and when they're away from their their mates on a Saturday at three o'clock, you know, are going through the worst times, the darkest times, and you know those are the people we want to reach and, and reach out to and tell them that you know we are a, we are a service that can help them. Yeah, I mean that's what scares me about suicide, particularly in men. I had a friend. Um, about 15 years ago, took his own life and none of us knew. None none of us had a clue and none of us checked in on him because we didn't even think there was anything to check in on. And, you know, I think that's how it can creep up on you and, and, and people in general. Is that what you find with James's place is that actually the people that turn up are not necessarily someone who you would naturally think has any problems in their life that can get to the stage that they would even think about taking their own life. That's, that's, that's how I often perceive the problem. And that's why, why there is such a problem. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. Right. I mean, it's, we see men from so many different social makeups and, and, you know, and, and we, we're not, you know, we're not, lying when we say this this could be anyone and it could happen to anyone you know it's 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 people who are often in crisis that's driven by very very normal life events that we're all affected by so you know obviously there's the cost of living crisis at the moment but in terms of of other factors relationship breakup work related issues you know the idea of of somebody just re- reaching a certain point in their lives and and not knowing what their their purpose is or or why they you know, why they sort of are on the journey they're on or how they've gotten there and, and you know, the sort of existential thinking that can can happen for all of us. So it's not people who are defined by mental illness, like I've said. It's often people driven by by very normal life events and that leads us to to speak to people in, in every walk of life, really. You know, there's nothing that says, you know, a person who, you know, might have had a really difficult life and, and had a really difficult upbringing and, and you know, might not be uh, might not be handed the, the the most luck or the luckiest hand in life it, it can come through the door and then be followed by you know uh, a corporate lawyer for example who you know is at the top of their profession and and you know academically is is really really reaching heights but like you said before it's the idea that n- there's not a real sense of these are the signs and symptoms, you know, people and especially men, I think it's fair to say, are very good at hiding those, those feelings and, and, and putting them to the back of, of the room, if you like, and not bringing them themselves forward. And, and in many ways, you know, that's the thing that we're trying to, to normalize. I think we are trying to normalize the word suicide, which is still very taboo. You know, we, we often, one of the things we, we don't, we try not to offer mental health advice, but one of the things we do say around suicide is not to use the word commit because, you know, it does intimate uh, committing a crime, if you like, and suicide was illegal in this country. And it still has that, I think it still attaches that stigma that, that to commit suicide you know, you are doing something wrong. We, you know, we would often say, you know, to use the phrase die by suicide, for example, as opposed to that. So it's just those little things that you can have a conversation about and try and normalize and try and bring to the fore. But we understand it's difficult with everyone. Where, if someone was reaching that point in their lives, I must admit, I I wouldn't know who to call. I, I guess the Samaritans would be my only kind of go to 
guess. So, so where does James's place come in? Is it a physical place? Is it a number? Is it a text? Is there a form online? How, how do you get in touch if, let's say you are reaching your lowest ebb, you, you're going that way and you just need some mo- someone in a moment of crisis and, and yeah, you don't want to speak to your family or your friends or the mates that you go to football with. So, so what is the ways of, of, of James's place helping someone if they were in that moment of, of real need? We are in person. Uh, we are free and we don't op- operate a waiting list. So the therapy and the, the treatment we deliver is face to face with a trained therapist, uh, a, tr- a therapist who's hired by us full time. Um, so there's three ways of coming to us and it's, all three ways, uh, essentially down the same route, um, via the website. If you go to www.jamesplace.org.uk, you'll see uh, a button in the top right hand corner, which says get support that will take you to an online survey form. And that will basically guide you through, uh, who is making a referral. And when I say three ways, a referral can be made by a professional body. So a GP, uh, or a crisis team or or a support worker or anybody at all. Um, it could be a, a concerned third party. If someone has disclosed maybe that they're, they're feeling suicidal, they're actively suicidal, then, you know, that person can make a, a referral on their behalf. Or importantly, the person themselves can refer to us. Um, we usually aim to have a man in the centre within 48 hours um, of a referral being made to us so that they can just sit down with the therapist, try and explain a little bit more about what's going on, and then we'll see if we're the right service for them. You know, it, there's often times where we're not for, for different reasons, but we will then try and work with them to signpost them onto what is right if it's a specific care need that we can't meet, for example. But ultimately, Sammy, you know, we are we are an immediate service because we want to deal with men who are you know, having thoughts, plans to end their own lives, behaviours, you know, maybe there's a previous attempt there. You know, our, our head of service often says that it's it's men who see suicide as a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And, you know, I think that's, that, that's a good way to put it because considering this is the single leading cause of death of men under 50 and that men are three times more likely than women to die by suicide, you know, that happens quite a lot with, with men that they feel every door around them is closing. We want to offer a door that's open, but it's immediate, it's crisis driven. So we're here to help those men. They'll usually work with us for about two months and that's six to nine therapy sessions with the same therapist in person. Um, and then we'll work with them to look for more medium to long-term support once once we finish our work with them. Um, Dan, obviously going to football, it's um, a very fun experience. You often do it with your mates, away days, all of that. But as you mentioned earlier, sitting down in the pub, watching the 1230 and then talking about your mental health is not necessarily something that uh, is often done. So how do you find that men can talk more in order to kind of prevent these problems at source? What are the resources that are out there in order to kind of make sure that men do share more? Because I think it's been quite widely proven that that is the the best way of of dealing with this in the very, very first instance and something that we can all do more in order to not just help us, but also help our friends. Men like I say, you know, they will often find it very difficult to talk about 
any kind of uh, psychosocial struggle that they're going through. But also, you know, I think I think what we what we see often is that you know male environments and male you know male environments like football, for example, um, aren't always conducive to those conversations. And, and I know it's difficult to then sort of get into that a little bit more that that environment and and to to promote and and to you know to will such such conversations and 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 such you know such brave conversations but i think i think there is a space there for for men who you know if they are feeling you know the way they're feeling the more men who maybe you know have an experience i'm not just saying with us i think in general you know more men who who are able to have an experience with their mental health and and find hope the other side of that and you know therefore them talk about their experience with other men then i think that you know the more the more environments will will create within football and other and other environments that that are conducive to to healthy conversations about this you know we have peer support groups now within james place where you know the men who've who've been treated by us get together and, and they're able to talk about how things are and you know, I think that's that, that's something that we're seeing across the board. Really, you know, there's now walking groups across across the country. You know, Andy's Man Club is one to to signpost to there across the country, um, where they get guys together to to have just a general chat, uh, which is facilitated every week. I went to a a, a walking club a few weeks ago uh, called the Proper Blokes Club in London, which is really good. You know, it's free. You can just turn up. Um, and twice a week they'll just go for a walk for an hour or so and and you can meet some great people and you can interact with people and I think that you know that interaction is is, is a key form of this because you know the, the sense of isolation and, and people being left with their own feelings often often can lead to a sense of hopelessness so you know we're not expecting you know a miracle overnight in terms of certain environments like football where we know it can be very difficult and you know obviously everyone wants to be out having a good time and forgetting about maybe what's going on with their lives but I think there are there are communities and spaces where men's mental health and men's you know ability to communicate is being promoted and that can only be a good thing I think. Dan thanks so much for jumping on Fulhamish and uh, telling us about the amazing work that uh, you're doing. Thank you so much. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast is Sammy here with Jack Collins and Drew Heatley. Thank you so much to Dan Morgan from James's Place. Uh, All the links to James's Place and the work they do uh, in the description below. Uh, It is Mental Health Awareness Week. And of course, I think always um, timely uh, to remember to to look after ourselves and our loved ones uh, as and when we need to. Uh, Let's look at some of your emails. Uh, The first one, here is from Liam. And this is about uh, the FST's season ticket price campaign, which only um, 
came around uh, yesterday morning, this morning, as we're recording. Um, he says, hi, Sammy, how's it going? I've just seen the FST season ticket price campaign. And although it's proof that they're trying, I just don't think it's direct enough. It feels far too passive. Um, I also think that they might have left it too late. My other question is, do you think people will care if there's something planned on the first game of the season or does that dampen new season vibes? And that is from Liam. So yeah, the FST's campaign is called hashtag affordable Fulham and they've taken some stories from fans that have got in touch with them about how they feel priced out by the the season ticket price rise uh, season tickets are already on sale uh, until the end of May there's only about two weeks actually left of the uh, renewal window which I'd strongly suggest getting in because it really jumps up uh, if you don't hit um, that window um, Drew I mean I guess my first thing would be better late than never, but it does feel like once they're already on sale, I don't know what's going to change. Yeah. I mean, my overriding feeling here is that it's a timing issue. Uh, and yeah, I think the, uh, the horse has bolted, so to speak, which is, uh, which is a shame. Um, you, you've got to be quick to mobilize these sorts of things that, you know, we've done something before. Um, I'm not saying that ours is any better at all. I'm just saying that, uh, timing is everything. And did you say there is something planned on the, that is, is that the plan is to do something on no, the first no, no, game? No, I think Liam, no. I think okay. Liam was just proposing yeah. like the, the first game of the season. Would that be, I personally think just like trying to launch something for the first game of the season would almost be it's far too late and it's and it's and it's exactly right so it's the it's the bad vibes it's the start of a new campaign like by that point look nobody wants nobody wants these prices to be hiked the way they have we got lord knows we've spoken enough about it we are all on the same page when it comes to that um but obviously by that point uh you know it's been paid the window's gone three three months in the rearview mirror um you know installments are being paid if that's the way people are paying it, it's it's done um i think that you know we've seen a sort of a pattern, as Faz has said before on the pod, that you know next season's renewal price is probably going to be this season's new price for the Hammersmith end, for example, and so on and so forth. So we have an idea of what's going to happen in the next uh, twelve months, and you know, as organisations, as the FST, as as fan voice, fan led uh, media, we have a chance to plan something for next season if it happens again. Uh, you know, argument could be had, could be said that we could have done that already this year, but doesn't matter this this has all already happened as you say better late than never but i i'm just concerned that yeah the horse has bolted and now we're just uh we it's all after the fact and it's all a bit moot jack yeah it feels a bit after the lord mayor's show doesn't it um that's not a criticism obviously these things take time to build they take time to you know to make happen but I just can't see anything changing this year now. Now that the you know they're on sale, that we're at that point. You know, it, what would you do? What would they do? Re- refund fans who have already paid? It's just not going to happen. Like it, it simply isn't going to work. So at this point, it's about continuing the conversation, and that's what I would say in majorly in in the FST's defence. They're continuing to drive the point home. Uh, they're continuing to to push this. And that's important because it has to stay pushed. I wouldn't even say for next year's renewal price. I, I think this remains as a thing for the entire season. And it's not going to change the prices backwards, right? It's not going to change the fact that the season ticket, but it might make the club reconsider the idea of hiking them again next year. And I, I think, yeah. you know, we, we, you know, we've shown it. And, and again, down the road, Ticket prices are frozen again. It's their third year in in the Premier League. They're still at their championship level of prices at Brentford. 
and that you know that's the the sad kind of truth of the matter that right now at those kind of prices fans or or people who've just moved to West London who are looking for a club to go and buy season tickets for to support who are driving a new fan base who are building a connection with youngsters are going to be going to Kew Bridge, not to Putney Bridge. And and that's a real shame because there is a major, you know, demographic in the middle of those two, which I think that Fulham are going to miss out on. And this has always been the point of it. It's, it's not just that it, I think it's unfair on current fans in terms of the rises against what it looks like in terms of inflation in the middle of a cost of living crisis. It's also about this new fan base that Fulham need to continue driving. And look, they made a big deal, the club, of being like, oh, the Riverside is sold out. Uh, one, not buying it. Two, I just, like, who to? If it has sold out, like, who to? Because I don't know anybody who's gone, yeah, that seems reasonable. Yeah, I'll go for that. Yeah. So we're, we're at that exact point now where this season, I think, is gone. The, 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 as you say, the horse has bolted. We're trying to close the stable door. Uh, and that there's no point in that. The, the point is now to make sure that this settles for next season, that it doesn't go up again, that there is no, you know, hike next season in order to try and keep things back in line with, with how things are. And I think that driving the conversation is important. So the FST's campaign here is, is, is really important in, in that regard, but I, I can't see anything changing this season. I, I also agree, Drew, that I don't think that doing something on the first day of next season is particularly useful to anyone really, because again, they're not going to, pay people back in retrospect they're not gonna you know these are these are this is where it is um and so i i think the, the best we can do now is make sure that it's very clear from the fan base that another price hike will not be acceptable next season yeah that's it it's getting ahead really this season has gone it's too late I think what we've learned from the club and the leads, but you know, the leads was the only time I thought that they actually might backtrack here and they never did. And they never seemingly came close. You have to almost get in, in ahead. And th- there is this um, thing that the FST have looked into that if next season's renewal price is this season's new price, then that is such a massive rise. And if that is allowed to happen, then that's Armageddon. This year, you might, just might be able to give them the argument that they have put this in line with other similar Premier League clubs, Palace, Brighton, etc. I'm not, I'm not for one second condoning it because I think it's short-sighted to still do, but next year, if they went to the seat, the price of the new prices, and I feel so sorry for anyone that has had to pay those, um, through circumstance. I, I actually was speaking to someone on, on Saturday who just gave it up for a year cause they had a baby and then they've got to now pay the new price. And you're like, God, um, that's just like real shit luck. Um, but yeah, that won't be stood for. And hopefully maybe with this campaign, that's, that's what the FST are, uh, are getting at, but we need to be mobilized much quicker. I feel like if we're actually to impact decisions as they happen, maybe if something had been organized within the week that they were first announced, then maybe there might've been more pressure on the club. But as it happens, even, even then I, I genuinely think once they've been announced, it looks really like it would look bad on the club's part and it would also make them look weak and not necessarily to us. And I'm not saying that's, that's the right thing. I'm just putting it out there that I think yeah. once the prices are out, the damage is done. See you later. Goodbye. It has to be before that. 
It has to be in the discussions leading up to these prices. You know, it, it needs to be in the meetings with the club in February, not in, not in May. Uh, because yeah. as soon as those prices are set, I don't think the club are going to budge. I, I think that's where we're at. So it has to be done in the pre-meetings. It has to be done in, in the kind of battlegrounds before before the war, before the storm in so many ways, because once they've set a, you know, a price, they're going to run with it. And they know that their audience is captive. It's, it's really sad, but it's just yeah. where it is. And there's so much of it that, you know, you end up with arguments online about people being like, this is the way that we're going to buy better players. I'm like, it's just not, is it? And so when, when you look at these things, they all need to be set out well in advance if you're going to actually make a difference to the decision-making, I think, within the higher echelons of the club. Yeah. And one thing that I thought, like, a bit, this is a bit of an aside point, but um, I was at the Villa game and the Liverpool games away from home and, like, they weren't sold out and they were quite far from being sold out. And, look, they were difficult games to get to. It was a Tuesday and a Wednesday night away up in the Midlands and up north. It just made me realise, though, that, like, we are not capped out as a fan base. Like there is not a ceiling here. And when you look at Brentford and what we were talking about, about how they will attract the new fans and we sadly won't at, at those prices, it just annoys you long-term as a club. Like I, th I think maybe there's this feeling because we're sometimes selling out Craven Cottage at the limited capacity that we are complete as a club, but we don't need any more fans, more fans don't in the stadium. And look, I know that away ticket sales are not really the revenue generator, although they do lose money by not selling those tickets. Although we're talking fairly small margins. You just realize that like this club needs more fans. Like there's not, it's not, it's not done. We're not, uh, one of the big seven clubs. We're not West Ham who sell out every away end that they go to. There's actually no more space or any more fans. There's no benefit to it. Fulham are still growing and still need that kind of captive audience really to support us home and away. But um, I also think that, you know, the, the more expensive you make home tickets, the less likely that people are going to travel for away games, right? It, it, it's, it's simple economics. If you go, right, I've got, you know, let's say a thousand pounds to follow Fulham for the season. And you're going, okay, my season ticket is 500 quid. So therefore I might be able to get to six, seven away days where the ticket's 30 quid and I can find cheap trains, et cetera. Fine. As soon as you make that, you know, you, you bump that up, you take away five, six of those away days and you're like, okay, cool. And the, the, the kind of margins become smaller. And I think it therefore impacts on support for the club, you know, across the course of the season. I think you pay more for it and you go, okay, well, I'll have to cut out a couple of, of the aways next season that I would have liked to have gone to because I've had to pay an extra 150 quid for my season ticket. And that's yeah. just the economics of it, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, let's um, move on to uh, a couple more questions um, before we finish. Uh, James Wilson talks about, um, okay, time to put on your Debbie Downer hats, Carlos Vinicius. He's had a great couple of weeks, no doubt. His overall stats for the season, like minutes per goal involvement, are pretty good. But he's obviously still a backup as long as we have Mitro and don't play with two up top. And it took him not just several games, but also a Dan James false nine renaissance in order to find a groove during Mitro's self-imposed vacation. So the question is, if Vinny needs a long run of games in order to be a capable backup, is he really a capable backup? 
James then says, sorry for the buzzkill. And I'm not saying I've already decided against keeping him around. I just feel that it's a question that needs addressing. And that's from James in North Carolina. Uh, Drew, your thoughts on uh, James's question? I'm not sure if there is a, if there is a backup striker who doesn't need a run of games to find his groove. I don't think a, I'm not sure he exists and B, if he does, I don't think he'd be at Fulham Football Club. So I'm quite comfortable, as I said earlier, with Vinicius as backup striker next term. I think there's so many different mitigating circumstances. Don't forget that he's only been at the club since the summer. You know, he's not as if he's part of the furniture and has been for years. I think that confidence grows with runs of games, but I also think it grows with, you know, time at the club and and being comfortable in your own skin and in your own environment. So I think... uh, for me, he's only going to get more capable. And don't forget as well, you know, he struggled because we weren't giving him necessarily the best service either, not the, you know, hitting his, not not to his feet. So I think once we started cracking that and we understand how to play to a different type of man up top, um, things started to click. So I think it's a mutual understanding that's developed and and, and will continue to develop. Um, but as I say, if there is somebody who can slot in, plug in and play and score, uh, you know, plug those that goal gap uh, as a substitute striker, I don't think they exist. And if they do, they won't be here. Yeah. Um, Jack, we should talk about uh, the fact that it looks like Joe Bryan is going to be leaving um, this summer. uh, And it looks like Bristol City have uh, won the race, as they say on Sky Sports News, uh, to secure his services. Um, I guess one of those inevitable transfers, but tinged with sadness because Joe Bryan is a hero. He always will be. And um, build the statue. Build a statue. Yeah, that's that's all I've got to say on it. Build the statue and I'll be happy. Um, <laughs> we'll always have Brian from the halfway line. And that's, that's as simple as it gets. I think, look, he needs to go out and play some football again. It hasn't gone to plan uh, down on the Riviera. He hasn't got that m- many games. The change of management didn't help. And he just seems to have been relatively frozen out. So he's just basically had a vacation year, which is nice but it's probably not what he wants at this stage in his career so going back to Bristol City seems to make sense he obviously is still well loved um, at at Bristol City and look I think he will just leave with everybody's best ever wishes and 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 those memories will will last a lifetime so yeah it's sad tinge of sadness I'm glad for him that he's going to go and and play some football and you know Thank you, Sir Joe, basically, is is all I have left to say. Best of luck, Ashton Gate. And that'll do for the podcast today. Uh, we've got some uh, three-word pod names as ever, so uh, feel free to uh, pick your favourites out of this. Uh, Luke said G says Shane Duffy testimonial. That'll do. Done. Jakob <laughs> uh, says uh, Fulham Palace Party. Mitro's Royal Return. Nice. Uh, from Branny and uh, our very own Drew Heatley here with Don't Wreck It, Roy. It's a little bit, little bit borderline four words. There's a hyphen in the Wreck It Ralph title, so it's completely okay. okay yeah, right. it's a little um, bit touch. <laughs> can, we, like, like adopt, can we adopt one of them? Can we, like, a, can we adapt it? Could yeah. we go with like Fulham Palace Glow? Or something like that. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What do you mean? Yeah, like, as in, everyone's just in a, like basking in the glow of like staying up. Oh, glow! Season, Roy, glow. Fulham Palace, glow. Yeah, you can't. But what's wrong with party? Because we're both up. We're both well, staying I was just, up. I was, both... trying, I was trying to rhyme it with road. 
like the Fulham um, Palace Road. Oh, I get it. Oh, that took me. Hey, that took me. Took me way too long. To, that's that's uh, the bigger stretch than I did at any point during my cycle, mate. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it's not gonna. It's not gonna work. What about Fulham Palace Ode? <laughs> just stick with one of the two you've got i reckon either metro's royal return or fulham palace party right fulham palace party it is yeah right, well done, just wanted to write just wanted to rhyme it with the fulham palace road what's so wrong with that no poetry in this podcast anymore i'll tell you that for nothing gone down the path <laughs> uh thank you very much to my guest drew heatley thank you for having me sammy and Jack Collins. Thank you, Sammy. It was a pleasure. All right. We will be back. George will be back hosting the podcast on Sunday, looking back at the Crystal Palace match. And then the Thursday Club will be here this time next week. Have a lovely weekend. You whites. You whites. You whites.